Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Hog Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you could still be in on the action at betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Three, two, one, yo! What is going on, Arkansas Razorback fans? Welcome to the one and only Hog Talk Podcast. It's a Friday show. I'm Ty Hudson, as always. So nice to have you guys uh, here listening. Thank you so much for downloading and, and listening and being a part of what we do. Alongside me today, no Kyle. This time, it, it's been it's been a little too long. Porter Hayes is gonna is helping me out today. Porter, how you doing, man? Doing good, doing good. Out here in the lovely uh, Oklahoma Sooner land. So been Oof. working out of town, and uh, so uh, first half of their season didn't start off good. So that was kind of a, a joy to go in their homes on a Saturday afternoon. Are you sporting your your um, your Clemson stuff every day? <laughs> uh, see, I think it would it would make them more upset if it were like. If it were Arkansas, just because there's that natural, I mean, you know, down where you're at in Ozark, like something about River Valley, Northwest Arkansas, Arkansas fans and Oklahoma fans. We've talked about this before on the show. They just don't like each other. But Clemson, it probably, it's got to rub them the wrong way that they're not oh, where yeah, they yeah. want. I, I wear I wear a Brent Venables jersey just to dig it in a little deeper for them. How, how ironic. He's a great <laughs> defensive coordinator in at Clemson. But uh, yeah. couldn't get it done at Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, they can't spell defense in the Big 12. Welcome, no. everybody, again. Thanks for listening. Rate and review the podcast. If you guys haven't already, we really do. We appreciate it when you do that. And if you know someone who listens to the show and they haven't rate and reviewed the show, spread the word. Tell them, hey, 
you know, you got to give those guys some star power. They work really hard to bring you some some premium content over on the HTP, on the Hog Talk podcast, who, uh, yeah, part of the Hit That Line lineup. Shout out to Tommy Kraft and, and Ty Richardson. We really do. Uh, it's an honor to be a part of all that. It's uh, really special. We got a couple of things. We're gonna we're gonna try and keep this session or this session. Sorry, this portion of the show. Uh, I swear this isn't. Maybe it is therapy. I was gonna say it's not a therapy session, but maybe it is uh, for Hog fans. It's gonna be nice because you're walking into a game in Tennessee. You feel a lot better. You know, feel a lot better about than you did walking into the A and M game on the road. Next up on on the on the following segment, Kyle's gonna interview Dan Harrelson. He's the managing editor for uh, Vols Wire of USA Today. You can find him on Twitter at at uh, uh, Dan Harrison. And on his website, it's volswire.usatoday.com. So Kyle's going to have a have – a, well, they're going to talk. They're going to talk about this matchup coming up this weekend. It's a good one. It's a good one. I'm pretty excited about it, and I'm excited to do the little bit of the breakdown here. Felipe Franks, and I'll start here really quick. Uh, getting a little bit of love. I don't know if you saw this or not, Porter. I think actually maybe you're the one that shared it in our Hog Talk chat. I can't remember. But Felipe Franks is getting some love from uh, Jim Nagy on Twitter, who's the executive director for the Reese's Senior Bowl. He's also an ESPN NFL draft analyst. He's been a scout for the NFL for like 18 years. Um, this is what he had to say about Felipe Franks. Now, this was November 3rd, so this was yesterday. One quarterback generating draftable buzz among NFL scouts is Razorback quarterback Felipe Franks. Florida grad transfer has high-end physical traits, and he's always made some wow-type throws. But this year, he's playing steadier and getting strong endorsements from the Arkansas staff. Porter, so far, up until this week, going into Tennessee – Going in through the games that, that Arkansas has played so far, how would you grade Felipe Franks so far? I'm not sure that I've heard you talk about him on previous shows. Maybe I've missed one. How do you? How would you no. grade him so far going into uh, this week against Tennessee? Overall, you got to give him an A. Um, what really impressed me is his ability to check off a of play. Like when he commanded that that drive, and he was able to scramble out of the pocket what could have been a 12-yard loss. Yeah. Got out of the pocket, got it, and then he checked off a play for a first down and then caught the defense off guard when they scored the touchdown pass. So, I mean, you've got to give him an A. I mean, he's not throwing a lot of interceptions. He's not getting sacked. He's not, he's not you know, running and getting sacked on a third down, which, which kills drives. You know, he's mm-hmm. making pretty good decisions. You know, his accuracy – has been really good. I mean, he's not throwing for 350, 400 yards a game, you know, and he don't have to. He, he's The way he's come in and controlled the offense and really gave them drives when they needed to, I mean, has really been a plus. So, I mean, I'm not going to give him an A+, plus, but, I mean, you got to give him an A for what he's been able to do with a fresh offense and with everything that the offense has to deal with coming into a, a, a season under this pandemic. A rebuild, you know? I mean – it's another rebuild, and, and here Arkansas is with another with another transfer quarterback in a new offense, new head coach, new system. Still, I think an underachieving offensive line. 105 completions out of 159 attempts, 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns to three interceptions. He's been sacked 14 times. 
I mean, I don't know where that ranks in the SEC. Of course, I don't have that directly pulled up right now, but I don't. I I, I know that's not very good. Pass blocking's just got to get better. But also something else to consider, and and you know, the first couple of games, Franks was catching. Well, he still does. I mean, he's a quarterback. It's a part of the job. They're going to always catch a lot of heat. But the first couple of games, fans were all over this guy. Like, oh, no, he's trash. He's trash. We already know it. He's trash. And that's after playing Georgia. Uh, he's he's going to be a very average vanilla quarterback if he's lucky, maybe at best. And we weren't considering, wait a minute, he's doing all this with zero threat of a run game. I mean, that's I, that's incredible. I, I really thought it would be the other way around this year on offense for Arkansas. I really thought Rakeem Boyd would take off. Really thought that north-south run game would get going. And if it didn't work, then the outside edge, uh, east-west running lanes would open up or just bouncing outside the tackle out on the outside edge. And that's not been the case. Like, there's been no run game up until Texas A&M. And then we really kind of saw, wait a minute, this offense against a top-tier defense performed really, actually performed pretty well overall. So, all the dogs in my house, as soon as we started recording, Porter, just are going, well, I say in my house. I have one dog. My neighbor's dogs are going absolutely crazy, and now my my. Jack Russell Terriers screaming in the kitchen, but I think they're they're calling the hogs. Maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> they're like, you're not bragging enough on Felipe Franks. I well, well, and to go up on your point, you know, his QBR, he's ranked sixth in the, in the conference. He's next to last in sacks. He's been sacked on on uh, Colin Hill out of South Carolina is the only one who's been sacked more than him. But his completion percentage wow. is seven. So I mean, he's middle of the pack. And that's about where you, you know, think, especially with how much the passing game has evolved in the SEC, and there's a lot of gunslingers. But the defense of Arkansas has really proven to to be the, you know, the workhorse of the team this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's that's so. He you said he's 14th, so he's the second most sacked quarterback in the SEC. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh! See, I didn't. I didn't, I was thinking like top five. Good grief! Um, well, there's two. KJ Costello and Fre- Felipe Franks have been sacked 14 times. Bo Nix has been sacked 12, and then you got Colin Hill has been sacked 16 times. But I mean, you you still with your QBR at six. I mean, you got Mon, Brennan, Corral, Trask, and Jones. You know, but yeah. I mean, Corral comes out after Arkansas lost and looks like a superstar again. So I mean, a lot of these numbers. <laughs> You got to look at who they're playing, and, and exactly. they get inflated when you're playing these trash defenses. You know that that are just struggling to keep people out of the end zone. Exactly, exactly. I, I'm with you. I think I'm giving him like a B plus or like an A. I think he's somewhere in there. I, I agree, and he's got the frame. You know, he's a big quarterback. Uh, I know he's got the injury to his leg, but still, I mean, the guy he can tuck it and run when he's not his. The only thing that is. And I've talked about this on the Pig Trail Network live shows. He hesitates. I mean, let's we got to call a spade a spade. He's hesitating, and we didn't see that against AM. We actually saw him tuck it and run it, and he looked a hell of a lot faster uh, tucking and running the football. But uh, against AM, because weeks prior to that, it was like he hesitated. He was kind of afraid of contact. Um, <laughs> but he's he made it work one way or another. Another thing, too, that's crazy, and I didn't realize this till I was looking at the numbers uh, yesterday. He has run the ball technically 58 times. He's got almost 160 yards on the ground. <laughs> 160 yeah. yards well, on the and ground. And he had, what, 90, 90 against Texas A&M, you know. Uh, not 91, was it? I think it was somewhere around there. If it, if it wasn't that, it was somewhere close to that. I mean, he 
He really – they exploited a really good Texas A&M defense. I know we've already covered A&M and we've broke them down and talked about that game, or, or the game anyways, we broke the game down. But I was so impressed with how this offense found at least some kind of a groove against a really strong, really physical, really fast defense. And then it's like on the defensive side of the ball, and we won't go down this alley, but on the defensive side of the ball, I was just – I couldn't believe against a very average offense – they looked as bad as they did, but that again, Kellen Mond should not be underestimated. He is a he is a, a second first team All SEC caliber quarterback. After all, not a Heisman. Everyone who's on that Heisman Mond boat, get off of it because it's not going to happen. But uh, he's capable. But no, Frank's. I, I agree. I'm right there with you. I think he's somewhere in that A A department. Very uh, very impressive year so far. If he I don't even know if they're going to do a Reese's Senior Bowl this year or not, but regardless, he's got a legitimate shot of going pro. And, you know, that's another rumor, too, going around. Is he going to return or not? Because he is eligible for another year, at least. I don't know if he is. If he continues to look, 66 pass completion percentage, you know, again, 11 touchdown, three interception ratio. Like, if he continues this, yeah, he's getting drafted and he's gone. So. Tennessee well, that just shows you – go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, w- I was just saying that just shows you the importance of – and this leads into the Tennessee game, you know, my, mm. my most important take. That just shows you the importance of you've got to get pressure on the quarterback. I mean, he sat oh, back gosh. there and looked – I mean, his jersey looked like it come right off the rack. <laughs> you know, so coming in yeah. the, to the Tennessee game, they know uh, this is what happens when you get pressure on the quarterback and when you don't. You're just going to have a field day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really been, you know, the inconsistency on offense. It can go back to the to the run game just being – it's just been hit or miss. It's mostly been missed this year. But pass blocking has been such a – it's been such an issue. And hopefully this week they get it straightened out. Arkansas, Tennessee, the first time this year in SEC play, Arkansas favored to win right now. According today, we are recording Wednesday – uh, on the 4th, November 4th. So this could change between uh, by, by the time you listen to this. But the spread is at 1.5 um, with Arkansas. Pick the win. I mean, the the ESPN Football Power Index has them favored at 52.8%. Obviously, Tennessee at 47.2%. These, it's, it's similar to the A&M game. Like, here we go again. Two teams that are pretty similar. Although Tennessee's not as good as A&M is on defense. But their offense, their numbers there are pretty similar. The over-under in this game, by the way, I think it's like the exact same as the A&M. I think A&M was 52.5. That's what the over-under is in this game. And I think that's pretty accurate. Um, spread is at 1.5. Let's break down their offense really quick, or just their numbers. Points per game, 22. Uh, total yards per game, 323. Okay, Arkansas's at 369. And Arkansas's been wildly inconsistent and mostly... I mean, we know the run game has just been, like I said, it's just not really been there. They've not, we've not seen any consistency out of the run game yet this year. So their passing yards per game are 188, rushing yards 135. So just looking at the offense, so going over Arkansas's numbers, 24 points per game. Again, Tennessee was at 22 points or uh, total yards, 369. Tennessee again, 323, and then 243 yards per game through the air to Tennessee's 188, and then Arkansas 126 on the ground to uh, Tennessee's 135. 
like that, this to me, it seems like this is, it may very well, and I hate to say this, and and Kyle mentioned this against, uh, he thought, I think, if I remember right, he thought that A&M would come down to special teams, and it sort of did in a way when you when you miss the field goals and the opportunities there against A&M. You could make that argument, but Porter, this week, special teams might really be the the, the what wins this game for Arkansas or Tennessee. It may very well come down to special teams, and that scares the crap out of me. Yeah, and another thing I think of is you got to look at the state of their team as a whole. I mean, after after that win against Missouri, you know, they've gotten beat by Georgia 44-21, Kentucky yep. beat them 34-7, and then they got hosed, I mean, just routed by Bama. So a lot of this is going to come where their head's at. There's a lot of rumors circling around about – you know, where the state of the program is, is everything okay? So, you know, it depends on how much they want to win this game. Yeah, they uh, – there's there's a lot of pressure on Pruitt. There's a lot of pressure on the staff right now. I don't know if there should be necessarily or not. I'll say I think they've completely underachieved. I mean, big time. Uh, Georgia is understandable, right? Bama's understandable. But they got routed against Kentucky, like you said, 34-7. to this wasn't even a ball game against Kentucky. Like, what are we doing? That's the worst. I think they're between them and maybe Tennessee and Vanderbilt are, are the worst offenses in, in, in the SEC, and they hung 34. Now, I don't know how they got those 34 points. Maybe their defense scored. I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I didn't watch that game. Um, we don't do this full time. Sorry, we don't. We have jobs. We have stuff we do during the day. We're going to miss some of these games. But regardless – you got stomped. You got manhandled against Kentucky. You weren't really even competitive against Georgia, who, who uh, you know, hung 44 on you. And uh, they barely beat South Carolina. Of course, that was on the road, but it was 31 to, to 27. But And then they beat Mizzou 35 to 12. They're, Pruitt, and I hate to say this, but, like, he – I, he probably knew this walking in. Like, they they want results. They want them now. Tennessee has just underachieved so much. I really thought these guys would be somewhere, like, in the top three in the East. Uh, they're going to be lucky to finish top four. They're going to be lucky to finish in the top half of the East and top half of the conference. So, Pruitt's going to have that much uh, that much more pressure on him going into next year. I don't think they fire him after this year unless they just completely lose out and get smashed in the rest of these games. And I don't think that happens. I mean, you know, you're about to play Arkansas, who – not really there yet where they're, where they're blowing teams out, not to mention a lot of people don't have faith in them doing that because the spread is at one and a half. But anything could happen. The spread isn't always right, as we've seen this year. Uh, their individual numbers this season, when you when you go to offense, it's obviously, like we said, it's it's been it's been not so great. Uh, Jarrett, and I can never pronounce this guy's last name, Garantano, Gar- Garantano. I got schooled by uh, Bo Hannon. <laughs> Did I you call him Guantanamo? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I have it written down in my notes. So, Cabo, if you're listening, <laughs> Garantano. Garantano. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a stupid Arkansans, I swear. Our our Arkansas <laughs> education. <laughs> um, he on the what? year has been. Uh, Wildly inconsistent. Uh, 83 of 135 completions to uh, pass attempts. 914 yards. He's just south of 62% uh, pass completion ratio. Six touchdowns, three sack, uh, three interceptions, 11 sacks. His rating's at 128. What were you going to say? Sorry, I think I cut you off. 
Well, no, I was just going to you know chime in and say that you know this game's really important for Tennessee because you know oh, they man. got Arkansas, but then they've got back to back Texas A and M, Auburn, then Bandy, and they end it with Florida. So, you know, if if they're wanting to get those marquee wins, then they, I mean, that's goes back to where I said where their mindset is. Are are they ready to really compete and try to make something out of this season? Or are they just ready to hang it up because yeah, if they don't beat Arkansas, they got Texas A and M, and I know. You know, we keep on joking about Auburn's situation and what their record should be. But, you know, <laughs> after what they done last week, I mean, if you go into Auburn, at Auburn, it's going to be a rough game. It very well could. They they could they could lose out. I mean, they could. And I joked about it earlier. It is absolutely possible, especially in this league. Uh, in Tennessee, with how underwhelming they've been, especially on the offensive side of the ball, it could happen. They've played. They've been pretty uh, okay on defense overall. Um, not a lot of interceptions. You and I were talking about that before we started recording. Not a lot of interceptions, but I think how many fumble recoveries? Like, was it five? Yes, five on the year. Which is, I mean, that's pretty good. That's ahead of Arkansas, and we've we've been talking about how great their their takeaways have been. I mean, yeah, they got a ton of interceptions, but you know, I think they have three on the year on the ground uh, fumble recoveries off the ground. Their uh, run game. Nothing super special. Eric Gray, and I say this as if I know they're going to play. I'm pretty sure Gray and Chandler are, are cleared, but Eric Gray, 79 carries, 355 yards. That's right underneath five yards a carry. Um, they're not really, you know, when you look at their, their longest runs from line of scrimmage this year, 22, 21, 15, 15, 3, and 19. And one of those was the last one, the 19-yarder, was uh, Garantano. Garantano. <laughs> the quarterback who scrambled for 19 yards. Cabo is probably he's eye rolling so hard right now. Um, seven rushing touchdowns on the year, two from Eric Gray and two from uh, Ty Chandler. Leading receivers: Josh Palmer, 19 catches, 295 yards uh, with four touchdowns. He's actually Josh Palmer's actually had a pretty good year. Not not too bad for the 6'2", 210 possible matchup problem for the Hogs, but. I'm not going to lie. Other than this A&M game, I think the secondary has proven to me that I'm not worried about guys like this that come in. Maybe I should be. I don't know. Maybe I should be concerned about Josh Palmer, but I'm just really not. Uh, well, and, and Texas A&M had a, you know, the tight end threat along with the receivers, and you had to account for the running backs. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Texas A&M had more of a complete offense, and you know, they when did. you got Josh Palmer, it seems like his only go-to guy, really. If you can really key your defense on him and they don't really have a tight end threat, I think that's really going to help Arkansas. Yeah, their leading tight end coming into this game has three catches. Three catches for 28 yards, and that's uh, Princeton Fant. So, uh, yeah, I, I I really like Arkansas's chances. The one concern you always have is bye weeks, and they're coming off a of bye week. Uh, they had a week to get healthy. They had a week to prepare. And uh, it, that does give you pause for concern. Also, how I'm wondering if what happened against A&M on defense, if that's a sign of things to come, does the defense, is that, is this, was that a sign that, look, yeah, you lost Catalan, but still you gave up more yards than you should have against a very average A&M offense. Let's forget about who, well, I mean, it's hard to forget about who's quarterback because quarterback absolutely matters. Quarterback play matters, but Catalan shouldn't have tilted that defense to play as bad as it did. That one player, maybe he is the reason why they, you know, when he got ejected in the first quarter, maybe that was the change. But if that's the case, that really has me concerned about depth even more so than coming into the year. You lose one guy and all of a sudden your defense just falls apart like that bad against a very average offense. So 
I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. With the total defensive plays, maybe they've been exposed a little bit. Maybe the, you know film is starting to, you know, these coordinators are starting to see. Ah, here's what's going on with the Razorback defense. So we're now we're going to highlight this guy, and this will work. This play will work in this direction. We can bust this gap, and you know when they stunt here, we can we could bust the outside here. We can hit the outside gap. We can you know hit the flats here. Screen play there. Um, you know, in these situational downs, here's what we can do. And that's what these guys are paid to do. That's why they're paid so much money in this league to make adjustments. And you combine that with coming off a bye week for Tennessee, it kind of makes you wonder, do they get exposed again on defense? Really, Arkansas's defense should have a pretty good day. They should play better. And maybe Odom's got these guys pumped up and ready to correct all the BS that happened last weekend. Maybe they're they're – They've, they've identified the issue. Here we go. We're going to fix the problem, and we're going to do it at home against Tennessee. I hope and I believe that that should be the case. Offensively, you might struggle a little bit. Um, what's your prediction? What, who do you have, or are you willing to give your prediction out this early, or do you want to wait? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think Arkansas comes away with the win. I just think Tennessee's down, but, you know, I, it goes back to you're talking about the key. What's Tennessee looking at scouting? You know, if they're playing the zone, they're going to harp on do not let them get to the quarterback. I mean, that's that's what I mean. Because if Arkansas gets pressure and they have a defensive game where they're allowed to get pressure and really throw, you know, Garantano off and he's causing turnovers and throwing, you know, interceptions, you know, Arkansas wins this by 10 to 14, you know, points. But if you allow any SEC quarterback just to sit there and pick you apart in the zone, and especially with the weaknesses you have, I mean, the guys are able to fly to the ball, but when you're playing the zone and you're not getting that pressure, I mean, that's just more ground you're having to cover up. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's I'm, I'm going to predict Arkansas. I'm not going to give a score prediction yet, but I, I say Arkansas wins this by 10 to 14 points, but it's very, very key that, you know, they get pressure. And plus, you know, with you were mentioning Catalan earlier, you know, if he's able to get out there and see the defense and see where to get guys in place, I mean, that voice along with that, you know, pull and being that defensive captain, helping people out. I mean, that, that means a lot when you lose one of your captains on defense, just mm-hmm. the morale of your defense. You know, now we got to, you know, pick up his slack because he's out of the game. Yeah, it's very true. It's a good point. Um, hopefully no more stupid penalties. And I, and I will say this, I, I made it clear on the, on the postgame show, uh, no, I made it clear on the halftime show on the Hog Talk podcast on Facebook. I said that was absolutely a penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, I mean, you, now, I mean, we've been having this rule for too long, and, and the talent that's in the SEC, the coordinators, I mean, teaching you how to attack. I mean, you've got yeah. to know as soon as you lower that head, you, you're bound to whether you make contact or not, you're bound to, you know, and now they've even made it to where even if you lean in with your shoulder and you hit the guy's helmet i mean they're i mean so they've even tightened up on i mean you just got to go as low as possible go down with your shoulders and tilt your head to the side because as long as you don't hit with the crown you don't come in with your your head down then you should be fine but i mean that's just it's what we have to adjust to it's the new rules of the game you know they're Mm -hmm. trying to protect those the quarterbacks and the defensive players yeah exactly and not to mention you're taught in third grade kiwanis not to do that Yep. I mean, I, I I know I was. That was something that was shoved down our throats. Now, I mostly played offensive line, 
but that was still shoved down our throats. If you play both ways in a game, we're, you know this. Red team Kiwanis, 51, you lower your head, you're going to be in some trouble. Don't do it again. I had officials get on to me when I played nose tackle. I'll never forget that. The official kind of pulled me to the side and was like, I think – Either you're not paying attention to your coach, but what you need to understand is you never lower your head when you're trying to go in and make a play, trying to make a tackle. Don't ever do that. And I'm not saying, look, these guys do it. They do it in the league still. It's it's just a reactionary thing. I mean, obviously, Catalan is, uh, knows what he's doing out there, and, and um, he's not a true freshman. He's a redshirt freshman, but that was still a rookie mistake. Hopefully he doesn't do it again. Now, as far as the ejection, I don't think a player should be ejected for an entire game. Um maybe a halftime, maybe a quarter, I don't know. I don't know about kicking a kid out for an entire game, but I also understand they're trying to send a message. I get that. They're trying to send a message like, look, we're taking this super serious. We're taking it super serious, guys. Do not lower your helmet. So, well, and I think no mistakes. they need to look at the intent. I mean, look at what the quarterback's doing. Look at what the defender's doing. If the quarterback's running and, and the guys go – I mean, they've got replay now. I mean, they can look because this is – you're taking a guy out for a whole game. Take a little bit of extra time and see on what is going on when the defender leaves his feet. What's happening to the quarterback? Is he yeah. upright? You know, now exactly. if 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 the quarterback's mid slide or the running back's mid going to, and then the guy comes in on him, yes, of, of course. Then you know, kick him out for the game or whatever. If there's that intent to go at his head, but if a, a defender, you know, if he's in full, you know, he's in mid air, he can't change his trajectory mid air. You know, yeah. so say the quarterback trips or slips right. I mean, because now, guess what? You're going to teach your quarterback to run. As soon as he leaps at you, duck down. Now, mm-hmm. guess what? That comes into a 15-yard penalty, and you just drew a foul like in basketball and could get the guy kicked out for a game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It. Uh, that's exactly right. Looking at their their uh, defensive, if and I know I'm going to get asked this, Who's someone on defense you should look out for? That DeAndre ja- uh, Johnson, yeah. four sacks on the year, and that's a linebacker. That's coming from linebacker position. He's six uh, three, two hundred and sixty pounds. <laughs> Golly, that's a monster! <laughs> Holy cow, that's an Alabama linebacker. Um, yeah, he's a senior, six three, two fifty five. With uh, with with, he's also got a forced fumble, and 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 technically has three and a half sacks, but he's also got uh, twelve. Total sacks on the year. Maybe he's not healthy. I don't know. I don't have that pulled up because that's kind of surprised he didn't have more tackles. But anyways, uh, that's someone to probably keep a look uh, an eye on. They're not a super duper great takeaway team, but as we mentioned earlier, they do have uh, five total fumble recoveries with two picks, so it's seven total takeaways on defense. Um, they could play pretty 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 tough football. Their front seven. It's I mean, look, Pruitt's their coach. They're gonna they're gonna know what they're doing on defense. I think they're gonna be pretty well pre- prepared. On defense, it's going to come down to. I really think it. Maybe it does come down to, to special teams. I'm. I'm not so sure that it does. The you know kind of the more as I, as I'm looking at these numbers and as you and I talk about the game a little bit, I think Arkansas does pull away. Uh, maybe by you know seven, somewhere between seven and ten points. So as of now, I won't give a score. Uh, but as of now, I will say I think Arkansas uh, wins this game by by at least. At least seven, if not maybe more. Tennessee's just so underwhelming this year, which is kind of a surprise because the way they ended 2019 on that great win streak, I think it was between them and like Notre Dame for the tied for the win streak in college football or something, or of of all the power teams, power five schools. Not that Notre Dame's technically in a conference, but 
I think they were tied or, or something, you know, a pretty nice streak coming out of 2019 leading into 2020, and then it all kind of fell apart. And so far, their year uh, not going as Vols, Tennessee Volunteer fans expected. So, yeah, I think Arkansas should win this by, you know, again, somewhere between, I'll say between five and ten points. That's where I, that's where I would probably lean towards. Um, so, yeah. I think I think that's really about it on this uh, on this segment. Porter, do you have? Are we doing women's update? Do you have women's sports, Razorback women's athletic update or anything? Yeah, I'll, I'll get that. You know, going tonight. I got to finish up. I mean, we've been having some really good. I mean, the soccer team finished with the top ten finish in the fall. I saw slate, that. So, yeah, you know, uh, cross country killed it. I mean, they absolutely crushed the field. They're ranked number one in the cross country so uh yeah be looking forward to the women's sports report presented by 1010 performance training later on in the episode there you go there you have it also coming up next don't forget kyle's going to interview dan harrelson of volswire.usatoday.com he's the site or the, the managing editor over there for those guys so that'll be a good one as for saturday kickoff 6 30 p.m in fayetteville it's going to be on the sec network we will have a halftime show assuming all goes according to plan. There's always stuff that comes up. But halftime show will be live on Facebook. And then the postgame show, I'll be live on the uh, I'll be live on Pig Trail Network on the on the YouTube channel over there. So hopefully we'll see you guys there. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast, you guys. That goes a real long ways, okay? All right, we'll see you Saturday. Woo Pig Suey, go hogs. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 136 of the Hog Talk podcast. And now joining me on the Workman's Travel Center hotline is the managing editor for the Balls Wire covering the Tennessee Volunteers, Dan Harrelson. Dan, really appreciate you taking some time out to talk with me tonight. Thanks for having me. It should be an interesting game Saturday. Yeah, you got two very unpredictable teams right now that really have just a lot of questions on both sides. Arkansas came off the bye, lost at in College Station to a very tough Texas A&M team. Tennessee coming off a rough loss to Alabama. You guys, I know, won your first game and then lost your last three. And there's some stuff going on. I know with the quarterback situation, uh, having to let your defensive line coach go, I know that, trust me, if there's any team that knows about off-the-field stuff, it is definitely the Razorbacks over the last couple of years. But just from your perspective, uh, what do you what do you just, before we get into it, uh, what are some key things that, that you're looking for? Yeah, so so Tennessee opened the season at South Carolina, got a win, then came back for the first game, defeated Missouri. I think right after that, Missouri beat LSU. So uh, started out two and zero, then lost at Georgia, lost to Kentucky, thirty four seven, worst loss at home to Kentucky since nineteen thirty five, and then of course that lost Alabama, like you mentioned. So. Uh, three straight losses, had the off week last week uh, in preparation for this Arkansas game. And, you know, Tennessee, uh, lo- like you said, uh, parted ways with defensive line coach Jimmy Brumball. He coached at Colorado last year in the same capacity. It's just a philosophical difference with uh, Jeremy Pruitt. 
of course, he's head coach and uh, a long and extensive background as a defense coordinator throughout this conference. And that's what he said is a philosophical difference with uh, Coach Brumball. And it is. Uh, Pruitt oversees uh, the play calling uh, duties for defense line and linebackers and Derek Ainsley in the secondary. And, you know, Pr Pruitt said when he let uh, Coach Brumball go that, you know, part of it was no spring practice due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And I, in my opinion, he didn't say this part, but uh, I think Coach Brumball wanted a little bit more hands-on with uh, some of the play calling, if you will, and that just didn't mesh together. So uh, it, it's put Tennessee in a bind a little bit. Jeremy Pruce overseeing the defensive line unit for the remainder of the season. Going into this year with the 10 on-field assistant coaches, Tennessee had six on the offensive side, four on the defensive side. So you subtract Brumbaugh, you really have three now. And, you know, that, that's something to keep an eye on, especially this game with Arkansas, with uh, how Coach Bryles, Kendall Bryles, uh, loves this beer-and-shoot offense. And he likes to expand those receivers sideline to sideline and, and really space people out. So that's going to speak volumes for Tennessee's linebackers in this matchup. Dan, I wanted to bring up, you were talking about Jimmy Brumbaugh and the departure as the defensive line coach. And I, when I first heard about it from the outside looking in that doesn't know a lot outside, really besides what you see on the field on Saturdays on TV from our end, I, I guess really what I was getting at when I first saw, heard about that from Jeremy Pruitt, I thought about the scene in Friday Night Lights, the show, where Ray Voodoo, I'm sure you've probably seen it, where Ray Voodoo Tatum and Eric Taylor are in, in uh, at each other's throats in the locker room, and then he gets kicked off the team. It almost seems something <laughs> like that, like basically they got into it at halftime or they got into it after the game and something happened. So you, you, you think that that's – or that's pretty much what you know is that there was a philosophical difference and not just some crazy, like, heated argument that may, maybe have happened, like, right after the game. Right, yeah, it, it was something that was uh, boiling boiling up for a couple weeks that probably longer than that. But, uh, yeah, some people do say in the market, and I, I believe there's a Kentucky reporter out there saying that Jeremy Pruitt fired him at halftime. I have not verified that. I have not really heard that, but that is out there. But I, I know for a fact that it was something that, uh, continued on for a couple weeks and it just kind of took a 34 to 7 loss against Kentucky to, to really go ahead and make that move. Uh, like I said, worst home loss to Kentucky since 1935 and, and first time Kentucky won at Neyland Stadium since 1984. So that, that kind of speaks volumes. And I read your article uh, talking about COVID coming off a of bye. Have you guys been able to dodge the positive test and the injury bug, or is there anything that we need to have a, keep an eye on as we head into the weekend? Yeah, so Coach Pruitt just actually before we came on here, he, he had his uh, last media availability until the Arkansas game, and uh, he did mention that Tennessee is COVID-free. Now, earlier in the week, coming off that open day, of course uh, – with the open date, it's good to practice and work on things, but at the same time, the, the players were given off Friday and Saturday to go back home or wherever off campus 
And really, in T. Martin's sake, the wide receivers coach for Tennessee, former national championship quarterback for UT, he went to Clemson and watched Amari Rogers, his son, play Boston College. And, of course, we know the Trevor Lawrence situation where he tested positive. So you just never know. I mean, I'm, guys like Coach T. Martin and, and these players are trying to be mindful, I'm sure, and precautious wherever they disperse to before they – come back and, and practice for this Arkansas game. You just never know, though, uh, who you could run into that may have the virus, and especially with T. Martin's situation where he's meeting his son or watching his son hanging out with Clemson over the weekend, and uh, you do see a Trevor Lawrence situation that tests positive. You don't know if anybody at Clemson may get T. Martin infected when he comes back to Tennessee, but Jeremy Pruitt did say – today that they're COVID free, which is very good news for Tennessee because earlier in the week, I, I heard up to nine people uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and it turned out to be false positive. So that's a good thing for UT. But, uh, you know, it is kind of scary yeah, this season when you do have an off week. I mean, like I said, it's good to work on some things internally as a football program and heal up as a uh, player standpoint but when you do disperse away from campus for a couple of days part of that off week you just don't know who could come back and, and transmit that disease and the coronavirus and luckily for Tennessee's sake it, it was only false positives early on in the week we've heard a lot about the quarterback situation at Tennessee over the last couple of weeks what is the latest update that you have you've got Jared Garantano back there that is not where you'd want him to be as a fifth-year quarterback. Had some promise here and there, but just is really inconsistent. But then you've also got Harrison Bailey, a blue-chip quarterback that you guys brought in from the 2020 class. What is the latest? I know that it's probably going to be Garantano that gets the start, but do you think that you could see possibly Harrison Bailey coming in and, and Jeremy Pruitt giving Garantano a, a short leash? Yeah, I think Jarrett definitely starts this game and, and plays – pretty much the uh, the onset of the of the game until maybe if it were to get out of control in Arkansas's favor, uh, I think you'd probably see a change at that point. But, you know, I, I you know, Pruitt keeps saying that, that Jarrett's the best opportunity, the best chance to win for Tennessee. And I, I think in a game like this, he kind of sees it as an even type matchup. And I, I just don't think, it, you see him pull the trigger on, on Jarrett, even if things really don't go his way early on. I think he'll, he'll try to stay the course. There's uh, four quarterbacks on the roster with, with Garantano and, and Harrison Bailey, as you mentioned. You got JT Shrout and Brian Maurer. They all have played game experience last couple seasons. And Pruitt mentioned that during the off week that they ran three sets of groups with the quarterbacks. So four guys, three groups. So who's the odd man out is, you know, going real deep on the depth chart at number four there. So we'll have to see. I mean, we all thought last week uh, or two weeks ago uh, against Alabama when, when the game was out of control that you'd probably see Harrison Bailey come back out there. He got in late against Kentucky when, when that game was out of reach. And Harrison did not come back out there for Alabama. It was Brian Maurer, and Maurer's the one who did not play in the first few games. It was J.T. Stroud and Harrison. Of course, Jarrett's been starting. So there, there's really no 
clear path to, to what Jeremy wants to do behind Jarrett. So I, I think that is still something to keep an eye on. Another thing we have not seen that we saw last year, which helped Tennessee down the stretch win six consecutive games and, and go to a bowl game and beat Indiana in, in the Gator Bowl, uh, he, he did kind of mix it up a little bit, a two-quarterback system. Uh, when Jarrett wasn't – things weren't going his way, he'd insert either Maurer or Shroud just to relieve some of that pressure and then insert Jarrett again because Jarrett's a guy that does better when pressure's not on him, and that's how they were able to win some ugly games down the stretch last year. And, and they did mix in a little bit with uh, wide receiver Juwan Jennings and a wildcat package. Of course, he's on – to the NFL now, so they don't really have that option or they haven't tried to replicate that this season. So you may try to see something like that. Uh, I do know that Quiveris Crouch, one of the linebackers, uh, they did that a couple times with him, like Juwan Jennings last year. Maybe you see that. And Jeremy Banks, uh, he started out as a running back for Tennessee in, in 2018, and he's flipped over to a linebacker also. Maybe you try to get him back in the backfield too and do some of those wildcat or, or just be in the backfield to create some depth for Tennessee in the ground game. And Tennessee, I would probably put an argument between them, Texas A&M, and Alabama for the best offensive line in the conference. And do you? I, I feel like that they're going to take a page out of Texas A&M's book and, it's, and understand that they've got a pretty decent backfield with Eric Gray and Ty Chandler that are reliable, can get the job done. I've, Jim Chaney likes to run the ball. We know that from his days at Arkansas. We know that from watching his offense over the over the last, what, 10, 12, 13 years, whatever it is. Do you feel like that they'll probably try to do something along the lines of that Texas A&M did against the Razorbacks? Yeah, I could definitely see that. With, with Tennessee's offensive line, the, the biggest thing for, for UT is the left side of the line, they haven't really established much. I mean, there, there's good bodies, like you said, across the offensive line. There, There is some depth there. But the, the left side, in my opinion, uh, the first five games this year, they, they really need to establish that. Uh, you, you have Trey Smith, who's an excellent offensive guard and really can play left tackle, right tackle, wherever, throughout the unit. Uh, he banged his shoulder up against South Carolina in that opening game, and he's still been affected by that. So hopefully this off week uh, you can see him play a little bit cleaner football. I know this week he said he hasn't been playing up to his standard, his expectations, and that's part of it. So he, he has to get better from that aspect. And then Wanya Morris, uh, another talented guy, he's been at left tackle. He's got to get better. He's been inconsistent. And Cade Mays uh, transferred from Georgia. He played all throughout the line in different spots for Georgia the last couple of years in big-time games. And last couple of weeks, I thought it may be ideal to, to maybe plug him, maybe at left tackle or left guard, move Trey or Wanya around to the right side just to establish something on the left side because you do have those running backs, like you said, Eric Gray, Ty Chandler, uh, that that can be explosive out of the backfield and and create something bouncing out to the outside. Now I just think that you have to establish that left side the the line in order to continue to do that, especially in this all SEC schedule. And really, the only thing that Eric Gray needs to get better at. I mean, he's a real good runner, explosive. Uh, he's good with his hands in the passing game. 
he needs to get better in pass protection uh, on passing downs in the pass game for Jarrett Garantano and this Tennessee offense. And Dan, as we start to close out here, I want to bring up uh, Jalen Hyatt. I know he was a guy that y'all are really excited about. He got like four three speed from what I've seen. I think what is it five receptions that he has this year for like 135 around from what I saw the other day. Is this maybe a game that Arkansas should probably be on the lookout for him just because he's kind of a secret right now. Everybody knew that coming into college he was a big time prospect, but just hasn't really always gotten the chance to shine this season. Yeah, five receptions so far this season, 134 yards, and then, of course, the touchdown against Alabama. And, yeah, he's a big body. He's got speed. Uh, He's going to have a promising future. They just have been trying to work him in with the limited amount of time he's had since he's been on campus and not the traditional year this year. But, uh, you know, it's crazy. After he kind of had his, quote, unquote, breakout game, uh, as far as his performances this year against Alabama uh, on the depth chart, Tennessee released Monday before this Arkansas game. He's not on the two and three deep. So you just kind of, is that, is that a gamesmanship with uh, Arkansas and coach Pittman? Uh, is he going to travel? Uh, I don't think it's COVID related now since uh, Pruitt mentioned that they're COVID free. Maybe at the time they released the depth chart Monday, he could have been one of the guys with the false positive. And maybe he's good to go and he kind of gets back into that one and two deep on Tennessee's offense throughout the depth chart. And so the last thing that I always do with everybody that we have on from the opposing team, I got to put you on the spot and ask your predictions on the game. Final score and some things that you are maybe looking for, like um, a crazy sack at the end of the game or interception. Uh, How how do you feel that uh, this one's going to go? Yeah, like I said, it's going to be a a fun game. It's going to be an interesting game. A lot of respect for Bryles and what they're doing, uh, the coaching staff that that Pittman's established early on in in his tenure there at Arkansas. And I just think with uh, Arkansas' sake, that they have uh, established their, their offensive identity, something that Tennessee has not fully yet this year. Maybe they, they can come around this, this week. Um, Barry Odom, he's, he's going to throw some good uh, multiple fronts at, at Tennessee. I, I guess for Tennessee's sake, I'm going to go 34-31 uh, with the balls, but it could easily go Arkansas's way. I think it's going to be a fun game. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to pick the Hogs in this one uh, just because it's a home game, and usually our our listeners like to give me a lot of uh, hackling about that, so I'll make them happy this week. But uh, I, I'm I'm thinking around the same score. I think it's going to be within maybe. I'm not sure what I'm going to go numbers wise yet, but I think it is going to be within a field goal or a touchdown. But a lot of great game. I know that Tennessee leads it 13 to five, but uh, a lot of great games in this in this series. And uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I know this is you only back in the '98 season. With oh with yeah, I knew there, so. I knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah. I've been. But uh, I I remember back in I guess it was like '01. There was a, yeah. a game in Arkansas. I think it was right before 9-11. It was pouring down rain. That was a fun game to watch because both teams could not move the ball. It was a downpour. So, yeah, that, that and then, interesting. Yeah, game. that was the year before uh, Jason Witten broke all of our hearts in 2002 right. and the six overtimes. And, yeah, just a lot of great – a lot of great ones. And really not so many games. I think this actually is, what, the third time in 10 years or something like that or second – uh, haven't, haven't really played a whole lot ever since they played just about every single year. And so, well, Dan, it's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate you hopping on and, and taking some time out to, to talk with us.
All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the Hog Talk Podcast. This is Porter Hayes, and it is time once again for your weekly women's sports report presented to you by 1010 Sports Performance Training in Harrison, Arkansas. Well, it was a busy week for the Razorbacks, and we'll take you to the pitch, and the seventh-ranked Razorback soccer team played their final home game of the fall schedule as the top 15th-ranked Auburn 2-1. In the 13th minute, Anna Potagil got the Razorbacks on the board with the feed from Parker Goins and put a chip shot past the goalie. Then Potagil returned the favor and fed Parker Goins for a goal in the 19th minute. Auburn added a goal in the 76th minute, but the lead wouldn't stand, would stand for the Razorbacks. With that win, Arkansas wrapped up a SEC West Division title, and up next they'll head to Starkville for the last game of the regular season with a matchup against the Bulldogs on Friday night at 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Razorbacks basketball team released part of their schedule as they'll play in the Gulf Coast Showcase. Coach Mike Neighbors and his squad will play against Wake Forest, Florida Gulf Coast, and Maryland in a three-day stretch from November 27th to the 29th. They also announced they'll be playing Baylor in the SEC Big 12 Challenge at Bud Walton Arena on December 6th. We'll make it eight in a row for the cross-country team as they steamrolled the competition at the SEC Championships in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The team scored 41 points, beating the nearest team by 16. This makes 21 league titles and 30 tries for Coach Lance Harder. Including indoor-outdoor, the Razorbacks have a total of 39 SEC titles and make that 18 of 19 league titles over the three seasons. The Razorbacks wrapped up seven All-SEC honors as runners Lauren Gregory and Logan Morris earned first-team All-SEC honors and Abby Gray, Taylor Urich, and Chrissy Gear earned second-team honors. Yurt, along with Corey Smith, was named to the freshman All-SEC team. The volleyball team stayed undefeated over the weekend with a two-game victory over Ole Miss, winning the first game three sets to one on Saturday and then one in three straight sets on Sunday. That moved them to 4-0 on the season, and freshman Taylor Head earned SEC Freshman of the Week awards with her back-to-back double performance against Ole Miss. Taylor is the only SEC player with four double-doubles and is second among the SEC freshmen in digs and first overall in total kills. The Razorbacks will have a quick turnaround as they head to Missouri and take on the ninth-ranked Tigers. The Razorbacks battled hard, taking the fifth set to where they would fall to the Tigers in the fifth set. They have a shot at revenge on Thursday night in Columbia, and stay tuned with all your volleyball news on Twitter and the Hog Talk podcast for updates on those games. Well, that will do it for another edition of the Weekly Women's Sports Report, and I would like to take this time to welcome in our newest sponsor, Farmers Insurance Gregory Agency, located in Ozark, Arkansas, at 1200 West Commercial Street, is your go-to place for all your insurance needs. With the lowest auto rates and the option of multi-line discounts, along with so much more, Farmers Insurance Gregory Agency can take care of all your needs. Be sure to give Melinda Gregory a call at 479-667-2211.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.